Trick or treat, trick or treat, trick or treat for Halloween. So when ghosts and goblins by the score, ring the bell on your front door. Better not be stingy or your nightmare will come true. Hello, and welcome to Barks Remarks, the podcast where we talk about the stories from the legendary Carl Barks, creator of Scrooge McDuck and writer and artist of the greatest Donald and Scrooge comics of all time. This episode is a 10-page podcast all about one of his short stories. Get ready to enjoy our remarks. Welcome back to Barks Remarks. I'm Mark Severino, a grown man who loves duck comics. Um, and and definitely loves stories that are a little bit more on the spooky side. I am very excited to have uh, what I, I consider to be kind of special episode of the 10-page podcast today. We're going to be talking about what I'm thinking of as two, two Uncle Scrooge mini-adventures. They are both on the shorter side, um, but both, both of them could have easily been expanded into a full-length adventure, I think. Uh, they're, they're both definitely among the creepier stories that Barks ever did. So very stoked to talk about them. Um, but I definitely need to welcome on a returning guest in order to have someone to have a conversation with these about. So um, welcome back to Orion Trunk. Orion, how are you doing? Hey, I'm doing pretty good. Thanks for having me on again. I appreciate it. Yeah, happy to have you back. So how about you? Are you like, are you animated? Are you drawn to the creepier stories in, in comics at all? Uh, yeah, sometimes they definitely give a good edge to it and a good an interest uh, that's different than just the normal thing. So yeah, anytime they can get a little scared or spooked out, it definitely adds some humor elements to it as well as just some good mystery some good detective solving skills and things like that. Yeah, you know, I've, I've got to say, as I reflect on some of these stories that I read a lot as a kid, I realized that a lot of the ones that stood out to me are the ones that kind of gave me the willies when I was younger. You know, it's I think it's often the case that if something kept you up at night as a kid, it, it maybe feels especially salient as an adult. So so there are, they, these are definitely comics that are fam, family friendly, geared towards kids, um, but but here and there, Carl Barks, as well as some other comics creators, have have thrown a few scary curveballs down the the reader's way. I think uh, you know I think about like in ancient Persia creeped me out a lot as a kid. What else? Uh, Voodoo Hoodoo, obviously, for all its problems, is is just a, a a wonderfully gothic horror story, essentially. Yeah. And, and then there are a couple that Rosa and uh, even Floyd Gottfredson with the mouse comics here and there, they'll put out some scary ones. So I, I always love to pay special attention to those. I was just going to say, I think it's important too to notice, you know, a lot of times they aren't really villains and uh, the superhero genre would do this too, where it's not really so much a villain, it's just something that's out of the ordinary because Barks, as well as some of the other creators, they're not just going to always have, you know, here's the hero, here's the villain. Most of the time it's, especially as these stories illustrate, it's, you know, it's, it's, here's the, the pro protagonist, but we don't really know what's going on with the other part. And that definitely adds to storytelling because it's not just, 
at the very beginning, oh, this guy's good, this guy's bad. It's we're pretty sure these guys are good, and we there might be something up, but we don't know who's good or bad yet. And that just definitely adds a good edge to any story. Sure, yeah, some element of of the unknown definitely creeps us out more. So you know, today we're going to be talking. I, I think these work. These two stories are going to work really well as a package, right? Because they are these shorter mini adventures. They're also very like close in publication date. They're just about a year apart. So I, I really wanted to make sure, usually for these 10 page podcast stories, you know, I don't really, I've been focusing really hard on keeping the adventure stories chronological because it's a good way to anchor this podcast. But I've been using the 10 pagers to kind of plug holes and give myself a little bit of a break here and there when I need to. But I, but I did want to make sure that I got to release this episode um, roughly when we are covering Bark's other early 60s stories because they, they're they very similar. They, they go well with those other adventure length ones. So I know that um, Hound of the Whiskervilles, I believe, was the backup story for um, Billions in the Hole. Am I right? Uh, it's Island in the Sky, actually. Oh, okay. That's right. It came out earlier. So, so Hannah the Whiskervilles is the support story for um, Island in the Sky, which is a, a, a science fiction great. We've got kind of a sci-fi story paired with a, a little bit of a horror story of, of sorts. And then we're going to be covering Bongo on the Congo, which is the backup story to Billions in the Hole, I believe, right? But yes, Billions in the Hole is the main story to Bongo and the Congo. Right. So yep. so these two stories are um, kind of the B stories, and they appeared, let's see, let's just kind of handle these together. Hound of the Whiskervilles was in Uncle Scrooge number 29. Yeah. And uh, this is certainly... Um, one of the very shortest stories we've covered, right? Like we're we're on the ten page podcast, but this one is seven and three quarters uh, <laughs> of a page. So so very brisk. Bongo on the Congo is a true ten pager, and that one came out just a few issues later in Uncle Scrooge number thirty three. Uh, they were in January of nineteen sixty and sixty one respectively, and um, they they were both printed a, a pretty decent number of times. Count of the Whiskervilles in 21 countries and 101 publications overall. And it's good for two, four, six, eight printings overall in the United States, including kind of a notable one. It was published in a collection called Carl Bark's Greatest DuckTales Stories, which um, is it's because this one got adapted loosely into an episode of DuckTales. I think it's one of the rare 10 pager stories that got that kind of adaptation. And then Bongo on the Congo was in 26 countries. 101 publications overall. And in the US, it has only had six reprintings. Fewer printings for Bongo on the Congo kind of makes sense, right, Orion? Yeah, that one's got a little bit of a problematic terminology and things in it, I would say, um, which I'm sure we'll talk about more. But yeah, that would make sense that there's a few less printings of it and probably less upcoming still as different things are going on with it yeah you'll you'll see that um you know it's like the title itself suggests africa and so there's definitely some kind of you know it's certainly not as problematic as earlier africa set stories i i well 
I don't know. That's debatable. It, it's not problematic in the same way as some of the earlier African stories. And there's actually some pretty sympathetic depictions there, but there's definitely some stereotype stuff. Um, but but probably more than that, there's actually just some stuff that was even controversial at the time because it it's kind of referencing an event called the uh, the Mau Mau massacre, which, as you say, we'll we'll get into when we talk about it. Let's see Th- these episodes, Ryan. I always kind of I always kind of uh, apologize for them a little bit because they're a little bit less researched, a little more loosey goosey. Um, I don't have a formal notes page here, but I have been reading up on that that rebellion, which is really fascinating recent history. But uh, we are I, I like to invert things a little bit. We usually, I talk about the community response to these and the ratings at the end, but for the 10 pagers, kind of like to put it out there at the beginning. And I will tell you that I, I think both of these are rated much lower than I would expect. Like, I actually think these are pretty good stories, both pretty strong. Maybe that has to do with, like, I, I definitely read these kind of early on informative years you know they gladstone put them in a couple of issues of the uncle scrooge adventures series they kind of like goosed out some of the issues that had like egmont stories i think but Mm -hmm. um but i don't know i i i I think they landed really well so hound of the whiskervilles it's got a 7.2 on index currently good for 969 out of all 43,000 some stories um and bongo on the congo is lower it's also a 7.2 but it's 1068 out of all of those yeah so if i take a look at my rankings list that has on okay so bongo on the congo is like way down in it's 171 out of all like 200 and did about 270 roughly 10 pagers so you know it's well well down into the lower half of those stories and then um, Hound of the Whiskervilles, I'm not sure I even have it on this list. So, and Hound, Hound of the Whiskervilles would be just a little bit higher, like one, 160 and 170. So, yeah, so they're at like the 60th percentile and say the 60, you know, third percentile. So, um, I don't know, Orion, I, I, I really like these. I, I, I probably give extra points, honestly, for stories that are scary, as well as for stories that I read within the first year of reading these comics. Yeah, that's true. I, I was curious, just with the rankings and stuff, how Hound of the Baskervilles would play out, because it is, it's really one of the foundational DuckTales stories. Like, it happens pretty, if it's not like the first episode, it's definitely within like the first season. So you'd almost either think people would seek it out more or avoid it, I guess, depending on if you're a I know if you're a purist, sometimes you're not a fan of every time you mention that you're a duck fan, they're like, Oh, did you see DuckTales? And you're like, Yeah, but like these right. came out these came out before Spider-Man came out. Like I remember I was even talking to somebody recently about that, just as a quick aside about, you know, when you look at when these issues came out, kind of picture yourself at the comic stand. You know, Spider-Man is not on the shelf yet. Amazing Fantasy 15 is not on the shelf yet, because that came out in 1962, 63. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, Fantastic Four didn't even really either. So I mean, when people are reading this thinking of yourself at the stand it's really you know that's 
that's one of the one of the books you probably saw, but you wouldn't see some of the big names that you would think of now. So that's how old some of these are. It's predating Spider-Man, Fantastic Four, stuff like that. Yeah, it's a good point. We're we're late into Bart's career, but um, his duck riding career, but but late into his career is still uh, way before a lot of the most famous Marvel characters. We we had a bunch of the Golden Age Marvel stuff has already been out for a while, but but you're right, Amazing Fantasy, Fantastic. Four was a little bit earlier in Spider-Man, right? I think so, but I'm pretty sure they both came out in in 61, 62. I don't have a yeah, way to yeah. search. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think that's right. 61 feels right. Someone can fact check me. Um, yeah, but, but this one came out in 1960, so I mean, this one's still, you know, if right. you think that comic shelf looked like, it was it was not the, the pages we think of today when we go to the comic shop most of the time, except for you know, Batman was probably still on there and Human Torch and stuff. But yeah, yeah, you know, uh, you 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 called this Hound of the Baskervilles, which is oh, right. a, a, a very appropriate mistake. Right. Why? Why did you call it accidentally Hound of the Baskervilles? I mean, that's the more prominent term that we think of that Barks is borrowing from with this. And it has a, a very similar message with it of just kind of that old Scottish countryside and things like that. Right. And it, it is the title of a Sherlock Holmes book, right? Right. So it's it's one of the more famous Sherlock Holmes novels. Yeah, so Hound of the Baskervilles is um is the third of Conan Doyle's Holmes books. Mm-hmm. And so you know, that obviously we've got a parody of that title. I don't I don't think it necessarily follows it uh exactly, but I think it does use some elements of it. You know, the DuckTales episode, you're right. It's a pretty iconic one. So you would think that it, there might be some shine from that episode. But um, I don't know. I, I, I remember that one pretty quickly. I think I had it on tape. So I watched it quite a bit. And uh, it doesn't follow it too closely. You know, the hound is like a true hound instead of the bipedal one that Barks is going to use. But anyway, you're, you're right. It, it feels like this one should be a little bit more notorious. Maybe it's just not long enough to have landed with that that memorably for people because you know seven seven and three quarters pages really is <laughs> a, a brisk little jaunt yeah. but um but I, I really enjoy it why don't we go ahead and dive into the story itself so orion Hound of the whiskervilles as we noted it is a very spooky story it uh i i think one of the reasons i love it and find it pretty iconic is that it's one of a just a few scottish set stories right like we're we're going to be back in the mcduck stomping ground he it's been a long time since barks did the old castle secret you know so he's not necessarily there's not a ton of continuity here other than the fact that he clearly remembers that scrooge you know has this family background in Scotland. Um, yeah. but, but we're not, you know, if he had planned this out, I'm sure he could have referenced Dismal Downs and, and they could have referenced something. But um, but we get this very, uh, it, it just, it feels, it is, this is probably the most Scottish story that he ever did when he was looking at Scrooge McDuck, even more so, arguably, than The Old Castle's Secret. And, and yeah. so we're going to open with this neat little splash, mini splash panel that spans the page that sets up the central, like, fright of the story. Um, 
we are in the middle of the ducks cowering at some unseen howling presence with Scrooge saying, it's him, Donald. Like the man said, the dreaded hound of the Whiskervilles is back. And the other ducks, Donald is shuddering and they're all looking very scared. So I, th- I think it's a great little attention getter. You know, we, we're going to transition very quickly to one of these stories where Scrooge is focused on something interesting that's not very typical that kind of could arguably feel a little bit out of character for him, right? What what yeah. is he motivated by in this one? Well, I noticed that it's definitely not a common theme, but it is a, a theme that Barks does reference on occasion where it's just like the status symbol of the rich, it seems like. Um, I was reading another episode. I wish I, I had it in front of me to, to reference it, but Barks has done it maybe once or twice, definitely not as much as his other themes, but where Scrooge is just overly concerned about wanting to be a status symbol or one wondering why he's not one, things like that, which is very interesting from some of his other stories where he's the most notable man in Duckburg. Uh, so it's it's odd to think of other people in Duckburg doing what he's doing in the in the first panel there where some of the butlers just throwing him out saying we don't really know who you are. You're not wealthy enough to be here. Uh, we definitely see his his presence differently in many other stories. So this one is is definitely an outlier where people are just right. We don't know who you are. Yeah, and I, and I think I think some of the subtext of it is kind of the new money versus old money, right? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. that that's what the rich like to play around with if they if they can get exclusive on each other. It's if you're yeah. nouveau riche, then you're not as worthy as the the landed gentry. Um, you're probably thinking of the status seeker which we won't get to cover for a dozen or so issues, I think. But it's a very fun story, as you said, concerned with this idea of becoming part of society. So so Scrooge really is, he's asking his nephews, who he encounters right outside this uh, mansion that he gets 86th from, why he is not considered one of the best people, despite all of the trappings. And, you know, his nephews are talking about how they they say people want to know if your grandfather also wore a silk hat. Um, and there's this fun little reference Scrooge makes. My grandfather wore a miner's cap, but back before him, my ancestors, I forgot. So that, that's kind of convenient, right? That he doesn't really have any memory of it, um, despite we imagine he's got a pretty interesting story. But but Barks didn't didn't really spend too much time thinking about like a duck family tree, for example. Mm. Um, But yeah, the the nephews are basically saying that your only chance to break into high society is through culture, since you don't have this like landed background. And so they take him to a modern art exhibition, which, you know, Barks is referencing seems to be a big thing these days. Orion, there's, there's a pretty good number of Barks stories where he'll poke gentle fun at the idea of abstract and modern art. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't seem to be a fan sometimes, or at least the the characters in his writing didn't always seem to be a fan of some of the new fads and the new things going on. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. Um, that that Barks seems to be speaking through his characters, you know. So they they're gonna explore an, some abstract paintings, which they're they're looking at one that was but that is by a famous artist named Angus McWhisker, which has just won a two thousand dollar prize, and it kind of um, triggers Scrooge's memory, right? It's reminding him of something. <laughs> There's a funny thing where one of the nephews. Do you want to read what the nephew? 
Matthew says in panel two. Uh, and here's another by McWhiskers. Such some suck sucker. I mean, socialite just bought it for ten thousand dollars. So I'm pretty sure I didn't get when I first read that. I don't know what the word that the nephew was swallowing. It says yeah. S-U-C. He was obviously about to say sucker, um, <laughs> but adjusted it. So that that's some pretty good commentary from Barks, who does not seem to. I, I remember Orion having like an actual unit in like third or fourth grade in art talking about mm. this type of abstract painting with these lines and squares. And um, I'm sure I'm sounding very uncultured as I talk about it now, <laughs> but I just remember being so excited that I knew something about it from this con. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, I like the sign at the art show too on the previous panel where they, uh, where you kind of see some other terminology of how much Barks doesn't really care about the actual art. He gives it some of this, the Barks mumbo jumbo words that we hear about sometimes. I don't know if you saw that, where it says that the show of modern painting, it's non-objective, neo-obscurational, obs interhumbugial studies and abstracts. <laughs> yeah, that that is great. I'm so glad that you highlighted that because um, on my old copy here, it's like hard to read. And I'm again, yeah. that wouldn't have meant anything to me as a kid, <laughs> but it, it's some pretty scathing commentary yeah. there and quite funny. What it does remind Scrooge of is that it looks like scotch plaid. It looks like a, a tartan, essentially. And he's remembering that the McDucks were once a great family family clan in the highlands and he's figured out hey if he can find a piece of the clan tartan that he can prove his quote background is every bit as swellagant as the best in duckburg that's a fun piece of writing <laughs> yeah it's also interesting just before we get too much into the scotland part how even though the terminology is a lot different like we don't use the word socialite a lot or at least people in my circles don't maybe that's part of my problem too but you know we don't we don't use terms like socialite and all these other terms, but we obviously still have a lot of the same challenges of, you know, how come my post isn't getting millions of likes or how come I'm not an influencer yet? I'm doing the same thing they're doing. And, you know, it's an interesting reflection, even though it was written 70 years ago, how people still care about a lot of the same things, even though we call it different things. Yeah, I mean, as someone who definitely checks to see how many reactions his uh, podcast Facebook posts get, I, I get what you're saying there. So what do you know about, you know, the, the idea of these clans and partons? Uh, I mean, I've definitely heard about it. I've, I've likely got a little bit of ancestry. I know, I, I know I have a lot of European ancestry, most of us German and things like that. But I know I've, uh, I have an Andrews in my genealogy, which is definitely a Scottish side. I dabble and I always want to do more about finding kind of my clan yeah. and stuff like that. Because I mean, it's it's really neat how it all relates and correlates and how you have your own badges and tartans and, and kilts and everything for sure. Yeah, what, what they're talking about, what Barks is presenting in this story is this is a very Scottish idea, right? That every clan had their own tartan which was the like specific design and we'd probably call it plaid in the states but i think that is something a little different in scotland so every family had their own and um you can read up on the history of this i won't get too boring but um but it is it is true that you know at some point in scotland there were designs that were specific to to the various clans 
products. Similar to crests and things like that, where there's usually some sort of a bicolor, tricolor pattern and some sort of animal that relates to your family and things like that. So it's definitely, besides Scot Scotland, they do have a lot of other cultures that seem to replicate a lot of similar. Right. And and so as they're walking around, I guess, um, you, they land in Glasgow. Uh, so they Scrooge is kind of showing off some of the different clans that they see. Um, the tartan of the clan McGoose and, and the clan McElk. And, and they're really cool drawings. Like, I, I like this. Barks definitely seems animated by the idea of these tartans, and uh, I was always really drawn to to this page and seeing the full Scottish regalia. You know, a couple of them are bagpipers, so it's very like it's it's super Scottish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we see we see a different character there too with the McElks. You don't really see Barks draw too much besides ducks and dogs. So it's yeah, pretty, exactly. Every fun. every once in a while, it's not very common that you see like mammals um, <laughs> that are not dogs or pigs represented. Yeah. So you know, Scrooge explains he does not remember his own family tartan. This is what he's come back to Scotland to figure out. And and on the next page, he explains while they're driving. You know, there, there's a lot. So Orion, I like this here. This is kind of a, a master study in what makes Barks really good. Look, look at the page where they're just, they're leaving the airport. They seem to be getting in a taxi. It's all exposition, right? Barks has to do a lot to talk to us about, um, he's been telling us about the idea of clans, the idea of tartans. He's showing, not telling by having him gesture to these other side characters. Um, but then he has more to talk. He's going to tell us about the history of the hound. And he makes sure to keep it really interesting while, while he's doing it, right? We see the ducks in motion. We see them carrying their luggage. We see them changing vehicles. Um, we see them from different angles. This is all mostly invisible to the reader, but it's it's just great. It's It's an excellent way of conveying this. Yeah. And so what he explains is that the kilts and plaids of the McDucks were lost along with their other possessions in the dreadful years of the hound. Um, and, and Uncle Scrooge is going to defer talking about that until they're searching. Uh, he's going to wait to tell them about it. You sense that it's kind of distressing to him, I think, is, is how Barks glosses over the fact that he's not going to tell them immediately. And so eventually they get into the highlands near the vast fief of the McDucks where they're going to stop and ask for directions to get back to the old castle. And, and they have this pretty fateful encounter with an old man. Um, do you want to tell us, Orion, about that that exchange? Uh, just where the guy's super surprised to see a McDuck in the yeah. in Scotland again because that hasn't happened um but yeah he's you see some of the accent coming out there you see mon you kind of mean it you a mcduck coming back now at this time and scrooge is just oblivious to it just what's wrong with now the hound mon the dreadful hound of the whiskervilles is back on the moors um yeah. I, I like this. this i think this is some great setup you know in in combination with that little prologue panel we we haven't taken too long to come back to the idea of the hound so it feels it's some good buildup um scrooge is definitely a little bit cowed here but he you know is <laughs> gonna go forward he must he says he must find that tartan and so you know the next uh page is basically gonna involve them searching the ruins of cat 
Castle McDuck on the moors. There's a moment where Scrooge falls into an ancient pit trap that were dug by the clansmen in order to trap the hound. <laughs> I, I like Orion. We have this moment where uh, Donald looks annoyed at him saying, you must tell us about that beast sometime, Uncle Scrooge. Um, yeah. But Scrooge is just kind of oblivious, not not taking the bait. It is interesting because that's like the third time that Donald's like, so wait, what, what's going on with the hound? Because we see his his anxiety because that's the Donald character. He's like, I feel like there's something you're not telling. Because that happens at almost every one of their adventures. He's like, I feel like you know something, but you're not telling us. And it's, it's right. even interesting if you think about storytelling in general, because we have seen Barks do it before where he does give it and then the boys start picking up clues and then the boys start solving a mystery or Donald starts whatever. But in this one, he does keep it pretty close to the best. So you really don't like everybody's out of the blue. The The boys still aren't on their mystery mode yet or their junior woodchucks. They're like, I guess we're just looking for some hound. I don't know what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. You're, I think you're right to characterize it that way. And I think it's kind of a side effect of how short it is. You know, I, yeah. I like, I actually like how it plays out that the ducks are not really in control of it. That it's just, I, as you say, it's coming to them. Um, but it is interesting how it's it's three times within like two pages that that Scrooge defers telling them. So it's it's really yeah. fast, but he makes sure to squeeze in it in three times in order to kind of escalate the tension. Um, so they're yeah. very frustrated. They don't see even a strip of uh, a shred of cloth in the ruins. There is a little bit of ominous graffiti saying McDuck's <laughs> get oot. That's a very Scottish graffiti for sure. And, and you know, Scrooge references the Whiskerville at some Whiskerville who, the you know, saying that must have wrote that, that those oafs always coveted the McDuck's land. And at this point, it's getting to be near dusk. And, you know, they need to get out pretty soon. Scrooge just wants to try one last thing. He wants to check at a distant cottage to see if if perhaps a looting Whiskerville has made off with any remnants of the tartan. Um, but it's like a mile walk. So they have time for Scrooge to kind of escalate the tension to actually start talking <laughs> finally about the hound. Yeah, tell, tell us about how he narrates. It's, it's kind of poetic here. Yeah. And I was going to say, just as you're getting ready to to go through it, we definitely see the, the Barks art style. If you look back at the page and see how much shadow figures and how much uh, that's one of the Barks techniques where you just see those shadowy characters, whether it's the boys or Donald or Scrooge or the castle, like he does do a lot of really great definition and relief in the stories. The silhouettes yeah. definitely add to it. But yeah, we see we see Scrooge here and he says that the, the hound used to stalk lonely clansmen and dusks such as this. He'd spring from the heather and scatter sheep and herdsmen with fang and claw. And Donald's just getting more and more nervous as it goes through. We see him gulp a little bit. Legend says the beast was as tall as a man and often ran erect like an ape. And then we start to hear it. This is kind of where the story was introduced. We see that ominous howling sound. And as the boys elaborate there, a hound is howling now. What an unearthly tone he has, like no hound I've ever heard. And then they, they start to notice that he's between the cottage and them, which is never a good thing. Uncle Donald, Uncle Scrooge, 
we best go back to the castle, don't you think? <laughs> I always I always love how they turn around and they're nowhere to be found. They're already they're like, nope, we're good. We're back at the castle. What are you guys waiting for? Uh, it, it's a really funny framing. I really like that. I, I like this a lot. You know, I like the way Barks has Scrooge describe it. The the ducks are kind of just gulping the whole way. Um, and then, you know, the idea of this, like the, the hound, he's he's talking about essentially a werewolf, right? Like he's not he's not a wolf, he's a dog. So it's like a, a werewolf in the form of a dog, essentially. Interesting with the description. And I guess I would be scared if I saw a dog that was the size of a man, but it is interesting that they don't hyperbolize the situation a lot. There's like, this guy's as big as a man is. And you're like, as, as yeah. humans, this, you're like, well, it's not really that big. I mean, again, if I saw a, a beast that tall, then yeah, it would be pretty terrifying. But I do like that they don't hyperbolize this too much by just being like, he's as big as, you know, the, the whole right. castle itself or whatever the case is. And it's I mean, big... it's kind of it's kind of like the classic size of most horror movie villains, if you think yeah. about it, you know, man size seems to be but but supernatural seems to be a sweet spot. Yeah. <laughs> So, you know, we've got the Scrooge and Donald are terrified, but the nephews are kind of setting up defensively with some sticks and chiding Scrooge that there's no way it could be the same hound that ripped the shirt tails of your ancestors hundreds of years ago. I like Scrooge's uh, funny reply there. I I won't ask to see his birth certificate. <laughs> um, and then they do encounter the hound in, in another like full page width panel. Uh, you know, he appears through an archway and and howls in an unearthly way. I, I, I've, got to, I've got to tell you, Orion, when I was, I guess, let's see, this this was I would have been about eight years old. This genuinely scared me. I thought <laughs> I thought this was a very scary story. Like I look back at it now and I, you know, it's it's the idea of of being scared of this moment is silly. However, I think Barks does such a good job of ratcheting up the tension. And you know, when you're just like an early reader, you're kind of taking your time reading these. When you haven't read a million comics, you don't necessarily, I think, devour them the way that some people do. So I, I think I really must have like took this in because I, I, I do remember finding this moment when we see this like full-sized hound walking unnaturally in a bipedal manner. Very, very scary. What, what about you? Any, any recollection? I'm trying to think. I, I feel like I probably remember the DuckTales story more, and I was curious how that... Because I think the, the cartoon did a really good job with mentioning how the, the Scottish, you know, phosphorus materials or whatever, they were able to, like, spray paint them or they were able to, like, make them glow and make right. them more of a good, which would answer his, you know, this isn't the same one as before. Like, in the cartoon, they're able to more so be like, oh, it could be still, it could be his ghost, and it could be all these things. So uh, that's the part I remember a lot, because I did watch the show a lot as a kid i i can't remember how early i got into a lot of barks stuff because i was still collecting uh just uncle scrooge adventures and whatever popped into my lap at the time so it was kind of whatever whatever gladstone was giving me was what i could read sure. um, but but it is definitely I, I do like i mean the backgrounds they're just dark purples dark browns the silhouetting like it does it does definitely give a really good creepy vibe halloween i'm i'm glad that this is possibly going to release around october ish time for halloween yeah. so that'll be 
people because it, it is just a good, you know, there's spookiness, there's eeriness to it. Whether or not it is a person, even if it is a guy in a suit, that's still actually pretty creepy if you think about it. Like, it's probably more yeah. creepy than an actual dog that haunts people. It's like, oh, this guy's spent his whole life dressing up potentially, you know, spoiler alert, sorry. But, <laughs> you know, if it if it is a man or if it is a hound, either one is equally terrifying at this point kind of a thing. So, And you know what? I, I did have this originally, like, in my spreadsheet as my Halloween episode. And until you mentioned it, I, f- I forgot that this was earmarked as my Halloween episode. So thanks for the reminder. It's it's definitely coming out next yeah. month. So it's gonna be it's gonna be really good timing for it. So I I don't know. I'm maybe I'm waxing on a little bit too much about it. <laughs> like because because I I could see someone looking at this panel and thinking that it just looks silly. But I I still find this kind of eerie in a way that really tickles me. So I love this. The the hound is chasing after the ducks in a very threatening looking way. And at some point, you know, the the younger ducks are like, oh, let's make a stand and fight. And we do have a moment where he slips into one of those holes, those pits that are meant to trap him. And he gives a very unhound like oop. And, <laughs> uh, and we quickly get a reveal that, in fact, he is just a man in a suit. Um, and he explains very quickly, he's not a real hound. He's just an artist that he uses. This is an act to scare people off the moors. He seems to live at that cottage that they were just heading to. And he wants help because his ankle has been turned badly. And uh, and he eventually explains both in the hole and on the way and back at his cottage who he is. Uh, tell us, Orion, who is this man? Well, they've been the Whiskervilles. And if you've been paying attention to the first couple panels of those of the distracting socialite stuff, uh, we see that he changed it to Mick Whisker and he wanted to become a gentleman. And then they start to, I like that the boys put the mask on and they're trying to like tease each other. There, That's why they're like, we don't care about this. This, this dog suit is hilarious. Yeah. It's but, a very cute, very cute moment. Yeah. But he's the successful Angus McWister who makes a fortune making abstract paintings. Yeah. And, and we see he's got this whole racket built mm. out of focusing on pieces of a tartan that he found um, kind of zooming in on different perspectives and painting them. And, and as Scrooge, as Scrooge investigates, he realizes that it is the tartan of the clan McDuck, probably the last piece of such cloth in the world. And we get this great panel of him jumping in ecstasy um, and a very fast transition to it's, it's a very goofy ending. We see him working now with Angus at the McDuck McWhisker Studio of Modern Art, where they are. And he never bothers to show off his tartan. He is having too much fun making money, painting abstracts to care now about high society. Um, and what what's their last exchange as they're both painting together, Orion? Uh, he says, I think I'll call this one the Hound of the Whiskervilles. And then the artist says, great, with well, a name as puzzling as that, it'll be a sensation. So, so another little jab at kind of the inscrutability of <laughs> modern art and its titles. Um, yeah. yeah, that's it. It's, it's very short. It has, it even ends like with a three quarters page because it it has one of those little statement of ownership things that comics are required to print every every so often yeah i i don't know i i love this story i i think it's great honestly orion like the only real criticism 
that I can levy it uh, against it is, is just one of necessity. It's that it's too darn short. Um, I, yeah. I think if it had been given like two, what, two and a quarter more pages to breathe as a true 10 pager, it could have been something really special. Dare I say, if it had been given another like six to nine pages as a full-on adventure story, it could have been um, a, a really scary gothic classic. Yeah, it's hard to say, but I, I do like how other artists have definitely and other storytellers have really taken from this. Uh, and I don't want to spoil too much if people haven't read some of the later stuff. But I mean, there's definitely some stuff with the McTartan being, I think, in, in some of the Golden Helmet related stories or some of the other visits to the castle, they become prominent elements. Right, so you're, you're referring to some of Don Rose's stories, I think. Right, yeah. So, I mean, I don't, like I said, I don't want uh, to. I, and I can't remember all of the uses of them, but I, and I don't want to spoil some of it, but there is definitely some use of these stories that other people do turn into some really good, creepy stuff. So I think, you know, it's hard to tell because I think one of the last times I was here, we talked about you could tell that Barks was trying to stretch the story and then maybe that's why it made it not as strong i think that was with the shipwreck yeah yeah we talked about how that one wasn't good because he did try to stretch it and he kind of created these fake scenarios or the you know it was just still kind of a robber story it wasn't as much mystery and he definitely could have gotten into some will of the wisps and some other fun creepy stuff but i i'm curious if maybe he did decide like hey you know, this one, we got it in seven pages. What else are we going to add to it without making it sound too silly or too... But he could have ended it on more of an eerie note, more of a McDuck history note or whatever. He just kind of wanted to end it on a funny gag with class society again, which was probably just on his mind at that point. You think about the page lengths, and this was the backup to um, Island in the Sky. I think it, it, there was probably a gyro gear loose story squeezed in there because of the weird postal regulations. So yeah. I suspect it really just came down to how many page what his page assignment was but um yeah. but anyway i i really like this story i think um mm -hmm. having it barely in the top thousand kind of undersells how potent it is i'm, I'm very curious if other people feel the same way about this one because to me this one feels like a pretty iconic story as short as it is especially because it did trigger so much it triggered ducktales adventures it triggered don rosa giving a lot of really great attention to it and so it, it obviously meant a lot to some people yeah there's even a little um a, a, i mean honestly Honestly, a, a fair amount of the very first chapter of the life and times is mm -hmm. is like based on this, right? There's even a, a brief reference to the hound in yeah. um, in that story itself. So um, let's say we transition now to our other spooky mini adventure. So um, Bongo on the Congo, right? I kind of I think we know what we're going to get out of this one from the title. It's a very like uh, sticky title. It's a great rhyme here, but um, we know it's going to involve a bongo drum. We know it's going to take place in Central Africa. And uh, this starts with a full-on splash panel, kind of a rarity for these 10-pagers, you know, and it's it's got, th this feels kind of iconic to me, Orion. It's got Uncle Scrooge literally chasing Donald while the nephews look on, talking about how Scrooge is determined to make Uncle Donald the next tycoon of the vast McDuck empire. Um, and they're running through these funny situations, including a dangerous, like the paddocks at the 
Duckburg Zoo where he's complaining how, you know, you're the only heir I've got. You've got to let me teach you the business, Donald. So, of course, you know, continuity wise, Barks is going to be ignoring his heir stories like some heir over the rainbow. But what he's really extolling is how it's not even work at all. The duties of a tycoon are fun. And Donald is so desperate to get away from him that he, he jumps into the creek, but he's immediately like splatted back by the paddle wheel of a little pleasure cruise. Um, I, I really like this opening. I, I think it works very strongly and it feels like the opening of many a true full adventure length story, Ryan. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I personally love any of the air type stories where he's like, you know, I got to have somebody to run this kind of thing. You know, it's just going to be a good story in my experience, whether it's, you know, the air stories where he gives him money or whether it's this where he's like, no, it's fun to be rich. And then you see how either right or wrong he's going to be over the next couple of pages and things. So I, I personally love any splash page where you know that Scrooge is going to be looking for for airship. Yeah, and it feels reminiscent of um, what the uh, the second richest duck, where he's trying to convince him, um, and Donald would just rather have an ice cream soda. And it reminds me of him making Donald more willingly being a big operator in a very contemporary story and pipeline to danger. Uh, so Scrooge is going to drag Donald, literally drag him into his offices to hear about the business from his clerks. I love the second panel on this page, Orion, where he like turns Donald's weary head, forcing him to pay attention. Um, and, <laughs> and it's really going to be a test because he's got some pretty bad news. He, he tells them, problem one, we've received no word from your diamond mine in Kachunga since Thursday, and it may have been seized, seized by rebels. And Scrooge just freaks out, saying, if there's a bush war over there, I can lose millions of dollars a day. Um, and, and this is going to be the first of many times where Donald, in an aside, kind of sotto voce, tells the nephews, Uncle Scrooge is breezily meeting one of his small difficulties. And there's a lot of concern about, you know, the officials won't even go near the mine because of the concern about tsetse flies. Do you know about tsetse, tsetse flies, Orion? Uh, mostly from comic books because they use that as a foil and, and for some reason more comics than I can think of. Or I think that's the only time I've ever heard it referenced. I grew up in Florida, so I mean, I'm used to all kinds of other pretty aggressive things that that try to get you but tsetse flies i don't know that i've seen too much of except for in comics well and i mean they are they are the main carriers of malaria like for real yeah so i i don't know i found this very educational like this is how I, literally how i learned about them and then the clerk is pointing to kind of the the part of africa that is literally the Congo. I guess it would have been Zaire when I read it. Now it's the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Um, Scrooge is in a real tizzy. They've got to pack for a trip to Kachunga and get to the bottom of this mystery, why they haven't gotten any word. And he leaves so rapidly that he doesn't get to hear that the clerk hasn't even gotten to the rest of his list of problems. Do you mind reading us the word balloon where he tells us about the other problems? Yeah, he says your railroad and Costalada had a wreck. You've been sued for 10 million pesos. Your picket factory in Picketburg is being picketed by pickets. You're, and he gets cut off. <laughs> I, I really like problem. that. Yeah, I like that a lot. And he doesn't have time to hear those. So he'll deal with them when he gets back. But um, let's see, there's some setup and route. Again, we get some 
exposition here where Barks makes sure to keep the panels interesting. We get an exterior shot of the plane, an interior shot of the plane, the plane landing. It's very much comic book 101 writing. It's if you if you've done comic books, then then it's not special that I'm pointing this out to you. But for those of us who are really just readers, to me, it's interesting to see how he stages this. And Scrooge has bought, brought a bag that's going to be really important that has all sorts of medication for the jungle diseases that one might encounter, but especially um, the serum for sleeping sickness. And, and so here, Orion, is where the story is going to get really spooky. Can you describe um, when they arrive at the McDuck Kachunga mine, what, what they encounter? Well, of course, it's dark again. It says, um, now to see what kind of trifling trouble causes busy mind to stop sending in daily profit reports. And they're letting them know that it's getting dark. Uh, but at least the, the buildings are all well lit. There's plenty of canned music playing or just kind of that background music. It uh, doesn't seem to have any trouble. But of course, a whole well-lit town with music playing and no people in the building, uh, no, nowhere in the town. So there's nobody around at all. Yeah, no one there. I, I found this very creepy, right? The idea, this is a trope that you see in lots of stuff. It usually signals something mysterious and terrible has happened. A, a town where everyone seems to have left in a big hurry because they go through cafes and hotels and houses and um, everything is just as it was. Co coffee cups, half drained, half eaten sandwiches. There's still money in the cash register, so it hasn't been plundered by rebels. <laughs> and and mm. again, every couple of pages, Donald is going to take a moment to say something like, think nothing of it, boys. It's just one <laughs> of those little snafus that big tycoons love to unravel. Hey, Orion, that's a funny um, word to observe is in this, you know, family-friendly comic. Do you know what sna a snafu is? Uh, like a small problem or maybe a big problem? I don't know the whole word origin, but... I don't know if this is a true acronym or someone maybe made this into a backronym, but I always heard that it's a military expression that's saying, situation normal, all effed up is what oh, I've right. heard, right? With with the expletive yeah. being there. Mm -hmm. So um, just, just a funny little thing to ponder. <laughs> anyway. Well, I was going to say, I, I meant to mention it on an earlier panel, but he brought it up again. Um, one of the interesting edits, and I don't know if we were going to talk about that later or if you maybe even noticed no, you can you can feel free orion you're pointing out that there there have been some edits here some of them for like just sensitivity reasons but some of them maybe a little bit puzzling right right so whenever scrooge or donald mentions the word rebels in the original issue they actually change it to bandits in yeah. the later issues which is interesting because rebel obviously means some sort of in most cases political dichotomy situation of here's the here's the main political body and then here's the rebels if you call them rebels it means that one is right and one is rebelling against the the main one whereas the the later edits kind of just remove all that and they just call them bandits overall so that way there's no political situation happening it's just oh there must be some bandits yeah, and I, I think you're right. This just kind of ran afoul of maybe being a little bit too political because it it kind of overlaps with the um, some of the freedom movements that took place. Uh, Africa was really interesting around this time, Orion, right? We're in the early 60s, which is when some huge number of the current countries in Africa 
just like came into existence. Real quick highlight from the second page of the story too, that whole panel where Scrooge is panicking saying in the original, he says rebels, if there's a bush war, if there's a bush war over there, I can lose millions of dollars a day. Um, but in the new one, it actually says bandits. If the camp's being raided, I could lose millions of dollars a day. So that whole phrase gets replaced by just bandits raiding, which is, is definitely an interesting. And it does alleviate a lot of the political pressure of just, I guess these guys are just in some sort of little skerfuffle, not so much a huge bush war, you know. Right. And I, and I think that the term bush war probably sounds a little bit condescending, right? Because the bush is right. like, um, you know, out there. Um, so at least it doesn't really change the story. Yeah, I guess that's, you can say that. But, you know, I should have mentioned as they are going through the village, you know, they are specifically looking to see if the reason that they don't see anyone is because people maybe have been bitten by tsetse flies and have the sleeping sickness. So, you know, when they don't encounter everyone, that's when they know to be concerned. Um, and, and that's when they go off to check the mining office because Scrooge says the security guards wouldn't have left their post. Uh, but they do mm -hmm. indeed find the rifles. And like Donald says, it looks as if they left them this time along with their rifles and reputations. Nice, nice bit of writing. Oops. And as Scrooge is pondering what menace could have caused brave men to drop their rifles in their unseemly terror, suddenly we hear some percussive sound, right? There's like some drum sound effects. Bum, bum, boom, boom, bum, bum, boom, boom. <laughs> and Scrooge immediately looks terror stricken where Donald is like, oh, a bongo drum. Everyone's in the woods having a dance. But Scrooge leaves so fast that he, uh, <laughs> the nephew say, he dropped his bag in such unseemly terror that he was out of sight before the bag hit the ground. And so at this point, hold on, let me check something at the beginning. Where's the first time that they reference Malmouse? This, this is the first time that they reference Malmouse. Mm -hmm. Isn't it? So that's the first time, right? Yeah. Yeah. So this is interesting, right? Scrooge identifies that it's the sound of a Mau Mau war drum. Um, and the ducks seem to immediately understand what this means. Uh, I guess in their universe, they're notorious enough. This tribe, the Mau Mau tribe, is notorious enough that they just take off running in terror. Um, the pilots of their chartered jet seem to have heard the same thing. So they leave in terror before letting the ducks. I hope Scrooge fires that pilot, right, Orion? Yeah. Because they just, they abandon yeah. Scrooge. Um, and, and so at this point, they're like, okay, well, now we know it's happened to the people of the mining town. They must have fled to the jungle to hide. So before we talk more about the story, what, what do you know about like the real Mau Mau incident? Um, I honestly don't know a lot about it. I, I definitely should know more. And I, I feel like I've probably read about it in some biographies and some history subjects, but I'm definitely not aware of it as, as much as I probably should be. Yeah, don't feel bad. Like I, just like you, I remember reading about it some time ago. Um, probably in some book that was about some overarching topic like colonialism or whatever, but but I didn't I had to definitely refresh my memory. So so the interesting thing is the Mau Mau's are not like a they're not like a tribe in in the real world. It was like a political movement, right? It was this group of people who gave themselves that name. You would probably call them freedom fighters, you know. Uh, 
or, or <laughs> terrorists, depending on which side you're on. But but they were mm. definitely that. What is factual is that they were a group that was formed in opposition to the British who were occupying colonized Kenya. So not quite the Congo, but pretty close. There, there was a basically a, a horrible, incredibly violent war between the British and the Kenyan um, and, and the Mau Mau, who were comprised of some of the Maasai and the, mm. I don't remember, Kikuyu, Kikuyu, I think was the name of, of the tribe that they mostly came from. Do you know the Maasai? They're, they're pretty famous because they're like the tallest they're like the tallest people in the world and they do that like mm-hmm. jumping dance so that's yeah. who they are okay it is interesting to see how they you know how he does want to reference real world events even though it is just a funny book that kids are supposed to just have fun with but he does like to use real world scenarios to a certain degree which is really cool but right and, and i think that the reason he did this right it was shorthand i think the um this war the brutality of it probably mm. was making the news so it was good shorthand to show why the ducks would be so terrified of them mm. right um but basically the the short of it is that the the Mau Mau rebellion uh, or uprising, whatever you want to call it, it, it is it failed um, because it it became too brutal. They didn't really get popular support because of some of the massacres on that side, even though the Brits were probably much worse overall. So they just didn't. They, that's kind of how it ended up. Um, but yeah, it was it was a. a a reaction against the colonization and and the brutality. So it's an interesting dynamic that Scrooge is kind of a colonizer here, right? Because he has this mine <laughs> in this very disputed area. That's something that obviously hasn't aged well. At any rate, at some point, Scrooge listens more carefully and realizes, oh, this is not a Mau Mau war drum after all. Donald takes a moment to say, grab a partner and we'll all dance. And he indicates that it's actually a quack quack war drum that that of course looks like quack quack right qwak it's funny because they're ducks uh, and he describes them. I'm, I'm looking at the original printing. He, he calls them the terrible voodoo cult of the Duck Duck tribe. And they're 10 times worse than Mau Mau's. I think they must have changed it in the late 80s reprinting, if I remember. Yeah, I was going to mention that they call instead of Mau Mau's, they call them quite. They call them duck ducks in general, which is interesting. So oh, they like call the, them the the webfoot tribe. They're of the webfoot tribe. Yeah, they are. It's, it is the quack quack war drum of the webfoot tribe. Interesting. Yeah, it's interesting because in the top panel where Donald and the, everybody's running away and they're shouting Mau Mau's, they change any reference to Mau Mau's to duck ducks to kind of make it fun with the quack quacks, I guess. Um, yeah. So they, they they alleviate calling them Mau Mau's by calling them duck ducks, which is interesting, of course. And then, yeah, at the bottom it says, you know, what's what's a quack quack tribe? Quack quacks are a terrible warlock cult of the Webfoot tribe. They're 10 times worse than duck ducks. Right. It, it all gets very confusing. As you say, yeah. in the, in the re- later reprints, they're called duck ducks. 
Um, I can't, I think there was definitely some controversy about how Fanographics handled it recently. I don't remember the specifics of it. People can, can check. <laughs> um, so, you know, what Scrooge has resolved is he, he remembers that he says, no, Donald, you can't escape clack clacks by running left facing sooner or later. And he's going to, um, he's going to sit down with old chief booger boo boo that's just silly I, I don't really care for that i'll, I'll be honest yeah. he's saying he can't send raiding parties into my town because i have a treaty with him and he's going to talk at some point how there's a, a little mini bongo drum that that he gave to scrooge as a symbol of that treaty so they end up stumbling through um through the bush all night long to get to the 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 Mau Mau no this is the Quack Quacks tribe um, and as they get there they are menaced by some very ferocious looking I, I mean they do they look like Maasai warriors essentially in the in the original printing their hair I think has been changed their skin tone has been lightened in the reprint am I right Orion yeah the the newer version their hair is kind of more spiky punk a little bit like that where it's just kind of traditional you know things like that but yeah they're, and they're actually just kind of the same skin tone as the ducks donald and right. Scrooge. they're all the same color so there's not really any differentiation that this one's darker than this one they're all just yeah so they it, <laughs> they look very menacing in either one but in the in the update they really just look like generic a generic quote tribe um and and while he is there he is as they arrive he's also anxious about whether there were any tsetse flies among the billions of bugs that bit them but he does get a pleasant surprise when he talks to old chief booger boo boo because he tells him the warriors couldn't be raiding his mining town they're here getting ready for a shuffleboard tourney with the mau maus so this is a little bit weird i think it's supposed to be a couple of things it's supposed to show us how um, westernization has reached into these corners and that they're just people too, I think is maybe a, a kind reading of it. And and he tells, he goes on to tell him that the only quack quack drum not in the camp is the little one that he gave him years ago for a treaty seal. So, you know, we've, we've got still a mystery here, Orion. And, and worst of all, we've got the ducks having to walk back now and scrooge has indeed drifted off into you know, having the sleeping sickness and they get chased by a rhino on the way back they have an encounter with a crocodile they encounter a stretch of elk that's infested with lions uh it is obviously a very hard night for the ducks the ducks do eventually blunder their way their way back to Kachunga. They're able to revive Scrooge with the medicine in his bag. And um, they do hear those menacing drums again. But as Donald says, it doesn't sound as scary anymore, probably after that terrifying night they just had. Um, <laughs> yeah. And eventually they take a closer look. And, and Orion, what do they... What do they notice? Uh, once they go inside the building, they see a, a good old microphone. They see a picture of Scrooge. So it's like his home office. And then there's a little tiny drum that was referenced earlier on as kind of a foreshadowing. And then there's a little something on that drum. 
uh, a little tiny one, and then it's just a small little titsy fly bouncing on the drum right next to the microphone, causing all that trouble. Yeah, it's it's very silly, right? It's been connected to the mind's loudspeaker, and and it's it's I, I don't know. For me, this was a cute resolution that felt more believable as a kid than it does as an adult. <laughs> Why is this little bug going to just be bouncing on the war drum? You know. The, for for this much time but but i don't know I, I liked it it seemed like a fun little resolution to it even if it's even if it is a little bit nonsensical and and it does definitely evoke some uncomfortable ideas about that, that westerners have about you know how bongos bongos native drumming is is almost always just menacing in these stories right and instead of like being the the kind of the cultural thing that it is but um yeah so you know it doesn't it doesn't maybe land the way it did as a kid but but i still I still find this story enjoyable. I really like the sense of dread. I guess I shouldn't recap on it quite yet, right? Because we do have the ducks arriving back at the airport <laughs> and reflecting on what happened. Um, Scrooge is making one more effort to say that, yeah, this is, it's fun being a tycoon. And Donald has obviously had a good example of of the degradation that Scrooge can go through and and they take off running it's a very nice bookend of the mm -hmm. um of the beginning right yeah so, absolutely so what do you, you think tell, tell us your thoughts Ryan on this story so you you made a good point towards the end there that um I think it's a good story that kind of teaches us that you know they have these agreements they're all willing to help each other and then like you said it kind of takes the the negativity out of the wardrobe by it just being this oh it's just something silly um so i do think you know as much challenge and editing I, I do think they did good editing it you know for the later issues even though some people don't like censorship and editing and those types of things obviously there's there's times and places for that um, obviously it's not bad for us to learn from that history and obviously it's not bad to know that things did happen and that people were and are sometimes you know there's a lot of challenging things to navigate through but i do like that they at least kind of made it back into i think the intent that barks wanted to do which was to just have it be a good fun story that did have some real elements to it but didn't highlight specific people or specific challenges because you know he, he ultimately just wanted people to be able to kind of escape into that world and have fun with the ducks for a little bit you know, again, I think any story that you see that dichotomy between Scrooge and Donald of just here's how it needs to be if you want to be an executive or a CEO. And Donald's like, I just want to read comics and drink soda. And, you know, the boys are always kind of in the mix of that one way or another. They like to do both. They like to go for those adventures and work hard, but they also like to relax and have fun. Um, so it's overall, I think, a really good story. It definitely didn't have, you know, anything like crazy exciting. The, the one panel where it has the, you know, the people on the sides is definitely a good energy of just... Oh, maybe they are in real trouble. But luckily, because Scrooge does often have good relationships with a lot of his his people, um, we do see that they're just, you know, having shuffleboard tournaments and everything else. So I do like that they, they made it a lot more lighthearted than they probably could have by turning it into some kind of more menacing actual problem where they were actually because he did that in a few other stories. He would we can still learn some cool stuff like just going back into this. Like I want to learn about what those tribes had to go through and what the rebellion was about and all the other things. But that's not what the story 
was about. It was just referencing that it was, you know, we're all real people in these events and things happen all around us kind of a thing. Yeah, you make a couple interesting points there, right? Like, first off, I agree, this is a good, like, Donald Scrooge story. I do like that dynamic between them. Um, and yeah, Barks really goes out of his way to kind of deflate this one by by having the, the fearsome warriors being getting ready for a shuffleboard tournament and then the the menace being a little a little bug a little tsetse fly it's interesting because you, you talked about some of those changes and and they he, they did do a pretty good job of not changing the tone of it but this one almost seems pointless to me to make these changes because i mean it's recent history in in a sense in that it's like not you know 60 years old is is fresh for history but it's still a couple of generations removed at this point I don't I I don't know how poorly references to the Mau Mau rebellion play at this point, but it it feels like such an artifact that like I, I find myself more understanding of the changes that they made in Voodoo Hoodoo than I do in this one. It seems like you're almost like I, I can see people taking offense to the to elements of voodoo hoodoo and and understand that very easily there's things to understand here like the characters look very stereotypical in the original one but but at least his representation of them you know this this chief booger boo boo despite his ridiculous <laughs> name he's no fool azula right he's not a caricature of a witch doctor he's actually even though he looks very primitive he's obviously very modern um and very moderate and and not at all like the real mau maus or whoever they were they were fighting against so um so it's interesting to me that it almost feels like an overreach to to have changed it i mean i think um, they did i think they did good with even just like you said just changing the color to just where everybody is the same ultimately because while diversity is of course an important thing when you're trying to tell a story of it's us versus them having any kind of differences in color tone can can cause people to overreact or react differently or things like that but just having where you you did say he looks pretty respectful and things it is interesting because they do like take out the nose the nose bones they take out some of the right the super stereotypical things this one just exists in such a weird space <laughs> where it uses these real terms um yeah. without them really meaning that much he's just like using them almost for their credibility and to instill a little bit of borrowed fear so yeah it, it, ultimately it probably doesn't matter too much but um but on the whole, I actually really like this story. Again, I think I think it landing, you know, in the lower half of the ten pagers is really underrating it. It's it's there's it's not like that special. Um, but it's a tightly constructed story. It's got a good narrative. It starts and stops in the same place. I I think the art is actually really good for an early '60s ten pager. So I definitely understand the hesitancy in you know, featuring this in a lot of reprints. And I can understand why some people would maybe not like this one. But um, but it's it's a personal, if not favorite, just a story that I'm quite fond of. So yeah. 
If we had to think, maybe if we take a little closing thought here, you know, which of these early 60s mini adventures worked better for you, Orion? Out of these two, I probably like The Hound of the Whiskervilles just because I, I like where they were able to take a lot of those notes from Barks in future stories and biographical, like I'm just by nature more of a biographical person. So I like learning about the history. I like the the socialite thing that Scrooge is trying to figure out and navigate through. You know, I still like the the Congo one too, just because it's the, the thing about that was interesting is that the Tsetse the fly is still always the villain, no matter what. Like at the yeah. beginning, you get some foreshadowing of, um, you know, you got to worry about these flies. And in the end, that is ultimately all they ever still had to worry about. So there's, there's definitely some fun gags and some fun history and some other fun elements. Um, anytime yeah, they go, you, you know, to, I'm sorry to interrupt to, to this day, I think the tsetse fly is one of the big villains of Africa too. Yeah. yeah. But from just a pure storytelling uncle Scrooge type story, I personally like anything with the Scottish, you know, the history there and the, the gags with how he wants to fit in with other people. There's some really good stuff in there. So, yeah, I, I think I've got to agree with you. I, um, I do enjoy Bongo on the Congo for all of its, weirdness and its faults but but i really i i love hound of the whiskerville's it's it's a standout for me as one of his like best yeah. super short stories right like it's it's hard to give it too much credit when it comes and goes so quickly um but i think it really makes uh makes an impact for what it is yeah. um so i really appreciate you joining me orion yeah. i didn't do a great job introducing you i know that you've got some you're a longtime comic book fan who talks about comics a lot on instagram um you've got some you've you're you're a stand-up comic and people can find you i believe on youtube and instagram right or Orion trunk, Orion like uh, like the constellation trunk, like the trunk of a tree. Yeah, and then my Instagram art page is just Orion sketches. So it's just my first name with a first name plural Orion's underscore sketches. If you want to check out some art or give me some good ideas or some some different things, because I'm definitely trying to expand my horizons there. Excellent. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. Um, all right. Well, thank you. I really appreciate you joining me. This one was a lot of fun. Absolutely. Yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. I appreciate you going over some stories with me. It was awesome. Yeah, folks can check out the podcast also on Instagram sometimes, mostly on Facebook. Uh, mail us at barksremarks at gmail.com. And uh, once again, thanks, Orion, and, and happy Halloween to everyone. I think this is probably going to come out around around that time. So enjoy your spooky season, yeah. Orion. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to say, find out those spooky those spooky comics and find some good stories to read over Halloween because there's some really cool ones out there that just give you those give you the willies that's right mm -hmm.